I'm Cahill Summers. And I'm Georgia Lynn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 27, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. Former FPD Young Farmer of the Year and in 2019, overall Sustainable Grassland Farmer of the Year with up to 10 grazings per paddock and producing 17 tonnes of grass dry matter per hectare. Brian Daniels, farming with his wife Gail in Kilkenny, talks about the generational influence, his farming system and the importance of work-life balance. This is a two-part interview. Listen in to how Brian believes dairy farmers can meet the sustainability challenges of the future while still achieving high outputs and what he's doing on his farm. Could you tell us a little bit about the background to your farm and how you became interested in farming? We've been up here in Rahinarn a good few generations. I'm the, the fifth generation of Daniels here to farm here. And the Daniels actually married into a family of deacons. So um, we true family passed me down stories. We reckon I'm about ninth generation of the family line here. So we're, we're around a good while. I suppose my own introduction into farming is so look, it's, it's, it's the family farm. We grew up here in the yard. And I suppose from day one, it was always kind of obvious I was going to go farming. Um, a big interest in livestock. Um, I'm sure I was my father's shadow for years, tagging around with him, doing jobs and in and out of the parlour and various bits and bits. Typical childhood growing up on the farm. So um, I had a brief notion that I was going to go into cabinet making at one stage, but I don't know. the it's it's staying in a workshop day in day out wouldn't have appealed to me so yeah farming naturally won out and um, look I'm lucky with farming I'm able to bring in all my hobbies in as well so we can we can tip away at it but um, yeah I've been I've been running the farm here now since the end of 2000 or since 99 Um, I was actually in Cadalton and my father asked me one evening what did I want to do and I said quite simply I wanted to manager heard of cows and he said right there you are do as you wish so at the age of 19 i was given full management of the farm so um yeah it's a slowly progressed out over the years we worked into a family partnership uh brother farmed with us for a while he's gone on his own different route now father retired so today it's myself and gail and we have a family of a girl of six and a boy of uh, four and a boy of two so um, a busy little place, but uh, yeah, it's a real, real traditional family farm. So it is. Brian, that that's big responsibility for a nineteen-year-old taking over a dairy herd like that. And um, you're just recently out of ag college as well. I I came out of ag college, I'd say only a year or two in front of you, uh, back in the end of the nineties. And there's been a huge amount of change uh, from the nineties up till now. Be it, uh, have you noticed massive change, even the new buildings, the quotas going, all that kind of stuff for. How, how did you find it or how are you coping with it? Yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a shock. I remember thinking that I wasn't quite ready. Um, but I suppose the great thing about a pressure like that is that you, you learn to adapt and adjust. And yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that I'm, I'm nearly running this place 22 years now. Um, but yeah, the, the pressure of, of or the opportunity of, of, of giving the herd at that stage, like we were milking a decent herd at the time. There was 90 cows milking plus beef cattle and it was a contracting business. And um, yeah, I realized that I needed upskill and upskill quick. Um, I was still in ag college. Um, and it was strange, like back then we had a brief class or two of grass measurement. 
And now everything we do is completely focused in on grass and our ability to grow grass and then harvest that grass and turn it into be it either milk or beef. And so, yeah, like when I was there first, uh, we just joined reps in 97. My father was fairly forward thinking that way. Um, there was 90 cows. There was a decent herd of beef because um, my father had bought a good bit of ground. So like we kind of seen everything as, as I was growing up. There was new buildings going up. There was a new parlor built the year I came home. There was ground bought. There was machinery coming in and out and updating the whole time. Um, and yeah, we, we I joined the discussion group was, was the one of the main things I'd done. Uh, and that was that was a huge help, uh, getting experience of other farmers. And yeah, we over the years, the farm has slowly adapted and changed. And we've brought in new technology and we've purchased land again since. We've been lucky that we've been able to add more ground to the farm. Um, we've seen quotas come and go. Um, and yeah, we've, we've gone from a family farm managing just livestock to a family farm now where we have hired labor. And as I tell we're lucky enough that we, we're involved with the, the, the diploma in dairy herd management with Park. We get students through that course and very good students, wonderful people have, have had great luck and, and great experience with them. But as I tell them, the, the cows are the easy part. It's, it's, it's everything else. It's, it's the labor, it's managing staff, it's managing rosters, the accounts, the banks, everything else. Um, but I suppose really the, the last probably six to eight years have seen a good bit of change, both personally on myself and on the farm, where we've, we're now, our last year, we, we milked our 310 cows. Um, we had two full-time staff members. And about five years ago, we, we, we upgraded the milking parlor again. So there's a 44 point rotary out there now. And yeah, the, the last, like I said, six to, six to eight years, there's been a huge change on the farm. Everything's nicely bedded in now at this stage. We're running a 5-2 roster with our staff. Um, I get a, a bit of time off. I'm slowly getting better that I'm learning to turn off and step away from the cows for, for various times throughout the year. So yeah, there's, there's been a lot of changes that we've seen coming and going. The real big changes now in the last couple of years is probably the, the social pressures that we see coming back on farming. Like what we used to do in terms of uh, wildlife and, and biodiversity protection 10, 15 years ago, that's all the in-range now, um, where we were probably originally counted that we were a bit, I suppose, a bit away with the fairies and... Uh, kind of live in, a, in eco life in terms of what we were trying to do with clover and hedge laying and stuff. That's really stepped up to the mark now and the consumers want to see this more as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an ongoing process the whole time. So it is. And just, um, you, you're after, you're after growing the farm over the years, Brian, and, and there's a lot of that going on the last couple of years where people are maybe up in cow numbers. Do you, do you have any advice to maybe farmers that are trying to grow herds or, or increase their farm, um, that, that would help them, I suppose, not make mistakes or anything you might have come across? Yeah, I suppose uh, the, most of my biggest lessons have actually been that we've probably pushed a little too hard or, or done something wrong. And there's no harm in that. Like my father says, Amanda never made a mistake, never made anything. Um, so it's 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 uh, kind of fits in with that. But yeah, the, I suppose we, we made a couple of mistakes along the way. Um, when we were pushing cow numbers and, and getting ready for quota removal, 
I was told several times that we wouldn't be able to manage the system and, and hire cow numbers with a clover system. So we actually, unfortunately, we turned our back on clover for a couple of years. But lucky enough, we about five, four or five years ago, we realized that this was wrong. And we started bringing clover back in on silage swarts and in on the, the heifer ground. And we're now in the process, probably starting in on the, the third year of rejuvenating clover across the dairy platform. The other mistake we made as well when we were growing cow numbers is that we pushed for as many heifers as possible and we bred heifers out of cows that weren't suitable. Um, so we're in the process now, probably third year into the process, tidying up the herd a bit. So we bred heifers out of cows that were more susceptible to illness, uh, more susceptible to lameness. And they were mistakes because you, you breed a bad heifer out of bred cow and you're just cont continuously re regurgitating the, the problem. So um, we're, we're in the process now that we're only breeding from the elite of the herd. Um, we're actually um, going back using more sex semen now. So we're trying to get labor uh, tightened up as well. So, and I suppose kind of as well personally that one of the mistakes we made as well is that we buried ourselves too much into the farm that we didn't take enough time off originally when we were, like when Gail and myself got married first, we probably should have stepped back from the farm more often. Um, but it's hard to do as well when you're growing your own business and in, in, in defense or denial, I say like it is our own business and that, that's what we were trying to grow at the time. So, but yeah, they're the ones like concentrate on quality. Um, you don't have to push for the big numbers straight away. It's okay to grow organically within the farm. Um, yeah, and uh, I suppose the main thing is, is trying to get the time off and, and remember why you're farming and why you like it. That, that's that's I suppose the there are three runs that I'd sum up where we are at the current time anyway. So Brian, we all know that EBI and you know growth efficiency on the farm are very, very important. Um how uh, how much work have you put into the breeding program on your farm over the last few years in respect to productivity, I suppose number one, and carbon footprint? I was lucky I started with a very good herd or I had the genetics of a very good herd. Um, when I came home first, the original goal was that we, we filled the quota with the cows we had. That was that was the, at that time, back back in the late 90s. Because um, of the contracting, a bit of the, the focus was taken away from the cows. But for the first few years, we just milked everything we had. We milked white-faced Herefords. We milked a couple of Charlies. We, we had the old AI-bred Frisians in the herd. And it was after a year or two of, of watching and, and letting the herd settle itself and, and get going that... I can really remember the moment that, uh, that the light bulb turned on. I was sitting on the, the loader feeding feed pastures and suddenly noticed a very good cow in, 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 the, in the herd at the feed rail that I'd never noticed before. And I looked her up that evening and she was a six lactation cow, um, AI bred, a pure Frisian, and she was invisible in the herd because nothing ever went wrong with her. She never got lame. She never got mastitis. She went in calf in the first service. So yeah, we, we, we've, that was the kind of the moment that we, the, the interest really kicked off in the breeding herd. So we, we started focusing in on those cows. So what we'd like to say is that we have this almost invisible type cow, the cow you don't notice. It comes in, gets milked, goes out, doesn't get lame, doesn't get mastitis, doesn't get sick, goes in calf to the first service. So we've been working on those things in terms of how we bred the herd. And longevity is very important. There's no point having a young cow that you put all this effort into 
you put two years of effort into getting her to the parlour, and she only lasts two or three years. And they, as one of the sayings we have here is that when a cow gets up to six lactation, then it's real profit that you're making. So it's the longevity, you're into mature yields. Um, so that, that's what we're chasing. And we've focused a lot into pure Frisian breeding, pure Frisian breeding with high EBI. So we want real rich protein and fat milk. We work on our cell counts because if our cell count is low, we have less mastitis. If we have less mastitis, we're not using antibiotics. So it's that cycle. Um, so that's what we're working on. Uh, same with the lameness. If, if she doesn't go lame, she's, she's milking better. And then all this leads back to that you're producing that milk at a lower kilo of milk size. You're, you're, you're no stranger to grass. You're a farmer, grassland farmer of the year. Uh, 2019, I think, wasn't it? And you won a sustainability award as well. You're growing a lot a lot of grass up there and your farm is very productive. Um, but I remember like last week when we were arranging to, to do the podcast together, the first thing you sent us within minutes when we spoke was you had your own sustainability plan. I'm not, I'm not sure how many farmers actually have one, but we we're very impressed with it. And part of the your sustainability plan is really, really heavily based around grass. Can you tell me what your view is on that and what kind of stuff you get up to? You've mentioned clover a, a bit there already. Yeah, um, I suppose the, 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 the sustainable plan that we, we sent you, that's a kind of a, a summarized version of probably, oh, I'd say about four or five years of discussions between Gail and myself. Um, we, we both have have our own personal view of what's right for our farm and for the environment around us and for the environment going forward in terms of the kids as well. Um, we want to leave the farm in a better state. So, yeah, we, we've, we've always analysed what we're doing. And, yeah, the, the one thing this farm is good, like it's, it's, it's an elevated farm. We're farming between 780 feet up to a little over 1,000 feet at the top of the hill. Um, the yard itself is 960 feet above sea level. So it was always classed as a, as a, as a farm of, of less productivity because it wasn't growing. It's not capable of growing grain or, or, or crops. But the one thing this farm really does when you manage it, it grows a lot of grass. It doesn't, it's cold in the spring, but once we warm up in the summer and, and from here on, this time of the year onwards, we will grow a lot of high quality grass very well. And I suppose it was the grass focus is, is the, the best way we can produce milk off this farm is by using as much of that grass as possible. So the less input, so the, the less fertilizer we buy in, the less grain we buy in uh, and the less of these fancy ingredients and everything. So we're going back to a sustainable thing, the thing that the farm can do in year in, year out. And that is we can grow a lot of grass. Um, and that's been the, the entire foundation of what we've built on the farm now since is that we don't like feeding meal. Uh, even back in, I remember the, when the drought started kicking in back in 2018. And we were actually, it was two years previously with Gail and myself were out in New Zealand and we, we flew in, flew back home through Indonesia and we saw all the rainforest being cut down and palm kernel plantations across. And, in 18, the, the, the simple way of feeding cows was you buy a big truckload of palm kernel extract and you tip it in the feed passage and you're pushing it to the cows daily. But we decided that in 18, we didn't want to be part of that system. So we, we focused on what we could source locally and from our own farm. And we were lucky that we were, that previous spring, we got some extra grass and bales. So during the drought, we just worked on, on grass and that was it. And we've gone now, we've pushed further to, 
the herd of cows that we have today isn't the herd of cows that are as important to us. The, the herd that's really important to us is the one that we're going to have in 10 years' time. So we're breeding the cow for the system that we run. So we don't feed excess meal. We, we, we let the cows find their own place in, in the herd and we're breeding from them. So it's all about grass, the cows, and then the output. So that, that's the way we're trying to run it. And the sustainability plan then as well is, is how can we reduce our reliance on, say, synthetic fertilizers, or how can we re reduce our reliance on, say, bought in diesel or electricity and stuff. So we're trying to get our carbon footprint down using that method as well. So um, the more we can do it, so in terms of synthetic fertilizers, we, we're using clover now, trying to generate the nitrogen on farm. Uh, we're trying to reduce our, 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 our energy consumption by we, we put in solar panels there last year. We put in a 21 kVA system, one of the cow sheds. Um, we've been monitoring water usage on the farm. Um, we've gone to LED lighting. We've gone to low voltage systems. So we're, we're trying to do everything. There's variable speed milk pumps. Um, so we're using less electricity for milk and process. Um, so all this is brought in on the plan that has been discussed over the last four, five, six years between Gail and myself. That's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Listen in next time for part two of the interview. Thanks to Brian Daniels, dairy farmer from Kilkenny, for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Georgia Lynn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.